This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit WOGCC.com. Last week, Easter Sunday, we kicked off a brand new series called Beyond, and I talked about moving beyond religion to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And man, let me tell you, last weekend was absolutely just a powerful experience with God, with our church family, worshiping our resurrected Savior, and then seeing people come to Jesus. What better time could you have than worshiping together and then seeing people come to Jesus? How many of you guys were at the second service Easter weekend? That was a little crazy, right? Just a little bit. Un poquito. It was a little crazy. There was one family that walked three blocks because they couldn't find a parking space, and they parked three blocks away to come to that middle second service. It was crazy, so thank you so much for putting up with a little bit of the confusion, the changing of the service times, those of you who volunteered and helped make that Easter weekend happen. Thank you so much. I know that lives were impacted. I know that people experienced the power of God, and they heard the truth, and it's the truth that sets us free, and you guys helped make that happen. So thank you so much for serving. Thank you so much for lifting up that service in prayer. Thank you so much just for being a part of such a great church family. We know that eternity was impacted. Amen? Amen. Amen. And that's what it's all about, impacting eternity. But I want to shift our focus a little bit from what we talked about last weekend to talking about what lies beyond this life. What happens when the life that we know it on this earth is gone? Are we going to be floating around on clouds playing harps like little chubby naked angel babies? Is that what we do forever? Is that what we're going to be reduced to for all eternity? I've heard people say, well, I hope you like praise and worship at church because that's all we're going to be doing in heaven is singing 24-7. And some people are like, I don't even like standing up for 15 minutes and singing three songs. And so perhaps you think that heaven sounds kind of boring. You think that it sounds something that, I don't know if that's something I want to be a part of, if other people's description is really what heaven is. But what happens really when we die? None of us really know exactly what lies beyond this life, but the Bible gives us just enough detail to let us know that there is life beyond the one that we know. And also, the Bible gives us enough detail to leave us in awe and wonder. I think that's why God gives us imagination. That's why God allows us to be able to think and imagine what will heaven be like because it should leave us in a state of awe and wonder. But yet, He doesn't leave it completely up to us. He gives us some basic things to understand and some basic things to arouse our curiosity. He gives us just enough detail to let us know it's going to be great and it's going to be awesome. But before we get into this teaching, there's one thing that I think is absolutely essential that we need to establish before we talk about heaven at all. And here's my one rule that I want all of us to follow. And this is really with anything, but especially concerning the subject of heaven. We must rely on the word of God as our source of truth. And not human imagination, not experiences, whether yours or another, not song lyrics, not books or popular culture. Our source of truth has to be the Word of God. Amen? So in other words, don't build your doctrine of belief of what heaven is going to be like based off of a popular book. 
Don't build your doctrine based upon what someone has told you or what maybe even you've heard another preacher or minister say that heaven is going to be like if they say they've had a vision of heaven. Or perhaps people have talked about they've had a journey to heaven or near-death experience. Maybe you've heard things like that before. I'm not discounting or discrediting those things. I'm just saying they are not what you build doctrine off of. Amen? They could be good, and they, there could be some truth in it, but there could be heresy in it as well. There could be a lot of misbelief that if we put our faith and our hope in the fact that the little boy went to heaven and came back and wrote a book about it, there could be a lot of truth to it. There could also be some error there, so you can't build doctrine off of someone else's experience. Amen? Amen. You can't build doctrine off of your favorite song that talks about, well, we're going to eat grandma's casserole when we go to heaven. She's going to make it for us because it was our favorite thing we used to eat when we were kids. You heard that song? It's a terrible song. I don't know if that's going to happen in heaven. Have you heard that song? (laughs) No, I'm kidding. I just made that up right there. You didn't know that, right? Okay. So... But pop culture would want to say heaven is like this. Heaven is like that. Movies, man, about the afterlife seem to be popping up left and right. You've got to make the decision that your source of truth on all matters is always Holy Scripture. Amen? This is the only thing that is divinely inspired. We always have to come back to the rock because if we build our doctrine and our belief system based off of experiences or emotions or good feelings or song lyrics or pop culture or pop ideology then there's nothing solid or secure about that because all those things change. The only thing that does not change is the Word of God, and that's the rock that we build all of our hope and all of our belief upon. Amen? So let's agree to experience uh, this teaching about heaven today and learn about heaven today from the source, the Word of God. So if you have your Bible with you, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, in 2 Corinthians. And he's dealing with a very Greco-Roman culture. And if you know your history, and you perhaps remember learning some of this in high school, then you remember high school, right? Uh, If you remember learning some of this in high school, you'll know that during that time that the Romans believed in what we call today mythology. They believed in paganism. They believed in a pantheon of gods. They worshipped a god for everything. There was a god for the trees. There was a god for the dirt. There was a god for the sun, the wind. There was a god for everything. And the chief of all gods was named Zeus. And Zeus was the guy that was playing this giant chess game with everybody. And he was feuding with his brother, uh, you know, Hades. And all those different stories that perhaps you heard if you ever read or saw anything about mythology. Well, these people believed that. They weren't just reading them as fun stories. They actually thought those things were true. And so their idea of heaven was based upon primarily what they had heard growing up, what they had been taught when they would go and worship in the pagan temples. So here comes the Apostle Paul, who is writing a letter to this church that's been established in Corinth, who is very new to the message of Jesus, who are very new to even experiencing the Jewish culture and the Jewish scriptures, and they were very unaware of some of the practices and ideas concerning heaven. So the Apostle Paul wrote the letter to the church in Corinth because not only was he trying to deal with issues within that church, but also he wrote that letter to help straighten out some of their bad beliefs. You can believe something really strongly, but that doesn't make it true, amen? You can be really strongly wrong, (laughs) And that's exactly what was happening because their source of truth was just what they had been told. 
And now here comes the Apostle Paul telling them about something that was different than they had perhaps heard before. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 1. He says, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven. Whether he was in his body or out of his body, I don't know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether he was in the body or out of the body, I really don't know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. Many Bible scholars believe that the Apostle Paul is actually talking about himself, that he was just using uh, the statement of, I know a man, because he didn't want to seem as if he were boasting or that he were trying to make it all about himself. But here, this man or Paul had this experience where he was caught up in what he calls the third heaven. Now, there are a few other references in Scripture that reference this phrase, the third heaven. And you wonder, what in the world does this mean, the third heaven? How many of you ever heard that before? Anyone ever heard of the third heaven? Maybe a few of you. I see a few hands out there. For those of you that don't know, you can look all throughout Scripture and you can see heaven referenced in three different ways. And the Apostle Paul differentiates the experience that this man had based on the other two experiences that were very much aware to that culture at the time. The first heaven would be referenced as the sky. You will see scriptures talking about uh, worshiping the God who created the heavens. Well, that may not necessarily be talking about the third heaven, but it could be just talking about the sky that we're aware of, that we see the clouds in the heavens, and that we see the birds flying in the heavens, and there's scriptures that reference that realm or that area that we see. The second realm that the scriptures talk about and refer to heaven is outer space. The Bible talks about the stars being in heaven, talks about how there are other bodies of planets in the heavens and how these things worship God and sing about his praises and show his glory in the heavens. It's talking about the universe, the galaxies. But then the third heaven that you'll see referenced a few times in scripture is talking about the very throne room of God, the very presence of God where you and I, who know Christ and who claim Him as our Lord and Savior, those of us who, when we die, or whether He comes to take us back, that we will spend eternity in that third heaven, that third realm, that third place of everlasting joy in the presence of our Creator, God our Father. You know, my kids experienced death in our family a couple of years ago. It was one of the first times that they had really been able to come face to face with death. One of our family members died, and we told them that this person went to heaven. And then we go to the funeral, and there's a casket with a body in it. And they were scratching their heads. I thought you said they were in heaven. She's right there. It's all good. We found her. She's back. (laughs) And we had to sit down with them and say, No, that's not the part of us that necessarily goes to heaven immediately when we die. And it made me kind of scratch my head and think for a minute. Because how confusing is that, not only to a child, but to us, to say that someone is in heaven, but yet there's their body we can very much see. That's reality to us right now because we're grounded here on this earth. And and, and, and the reality is, is that that person seems to 
still be there, but but there's something missing. There's something not quite there. There's this essence about them that no longer is present. Well, here's what the Bible says about that. In Genesis chapter 2, when God created man, you need to understand that man was formed from the dust of the ground. Genesis chapter 2, let's look at verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, and then what did he do? He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, And then man became a living being. Some of you may have a translation that says man became a living soul. You'll see that God did not give man a soul. Instead, what happened was his breath was breathed into this body that he formed. And because of God's breath, man became a living soul. It was a result of God breathing his breath into man, giving him identity, giving him a mind, giving him a will and a desire, giving him emotions that helped to create his individual personality and identity. That was a result of the breath of God being breathed into man. Every one of us have that breath of God that has been breathed into us that has created something in us that is very unique. Now, at the same time, when man was created, not only did God breathe his breath into him, man became a living soul, but he had the very spirit of God on the inside of him as well, because the Bible describes how Adam walked and talked with God in the cool of the day. We see that God said, let us make man in our image, and we know that God is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. As God is three in one, so has he made us in his image. He has created a spirit, soul, and body. And Adam was walking with God, with the Spirit of God alive in him. But then you remember that the serpent came and tempted Adam and his wife Eve and said that if you touch this tree and you eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he said, you won't surely die. Kind of. Because the enemy always tells half-truths. But then when they touched the tree, they did die. They died spiritually because sin separates us from the very presence of God. You remember that the word death oftentimes in the Bible is literally translated as separation from God. And that's what that word death is often translated into. So yeah, they didn't drop dead right there on the ground like you and I would say death, but they did die spiritually because they were cut off from that spirit of God on the inside of them. Now they still have their soul. They still have their body. But they're cut off from the very life-giving Spirit of God. And because they're cut off from the life-giving Spirit of God, then guess what? Now, their, their soulish part of them, their mind, their will, and their emotions begins to be corrupted by their own evil and selfish desires. And then what happens as a result of that? Their body begins to experience corruption. Because, you know, God did not create man to die. We were created initially to live forever in His presence. There was supposed to be no end to our existence. We were supposed to be living forever and worshiping Him. That was God's original intent. You remember when God created us and He created the earth and everything in the earth? What did He call His creation? He said it was good. You remember that? God doesn't make bad stuff. We're the ones who made it bad because we rebelled against God's command. And we said, no, we want to partake of something that you said we shouldn't. And because of that, God can't be where sin is because God is holy. So therefore, we died spiritually, which caused our flesh to be corrupted, which began to influence in a negative way because we were feeding into our selfishness. 
It began to influence our mind, our will, and our emotions, and that part of us that we know as life, which eventually caused deterioration of our physical bodies, which eventually leads to death. All sin and all sickness, all disease, all pain, all that stuff is a result of sin in the world and rebellion towards God. And it was not God's good, perfect design. That was our choice. But we know that that's not the end of the story. Amen? Because you see, God is a redeemer and He's a restorer of all things. So what happens then? What happens in, in that instance when we do die? Well, if we look at what the Scripture says, we can see that when we die, that to be absent from our bodies is to be present with the Lord. There's a lot of different schools of thought on this. And perhaps you grew up believing in purgatory. Uh, perhaps you grew up believing in something called soul sleep, that yet when you die, you're not quite with God, yet you're kind of in a waiting area, a waiting room. Well, I personally don't believe that, and I believe that Scripture shows us otherwise, because the souls of the righteous at death go directly into the presence of God, a place that the Bible refers to as heaven, Abraham's bosom, paradise. You'll see this in Luke 23 and 43 when Jesus was hanging on the cross, and then you have the thief that was next to him that said, remember me, and Jesus said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. He didn't say tomorrow. He didn't say next week. He didn't say go hang out in the waiting room for a little while. He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And then we see in 2 Corinthians 5 and 8, the famous scripture that says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And then also Philippians 1 and 23, where the apostle Paul is describing how he wants to be with the people of the church of Philippi, but kind of not too. Because he said, you know, I I really want to stay with you guys and minister to you because it would be better for you. But actually, I would really want to be with Christ because that's better than being with you. But because you need me to stay here, he goes on in verse 24. He said, I'll stay here with you. But I, I really have this desire to be with Jesus. Because he knows that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so as I look at Scripture, that's what I see. And I know that God is a redeemer, that He's a restorer of all things. Have you ever wondered why do we need a body in heaven anyways? Why would we even want that? Why doesn't make sense. Because here's the thing. When you become a Christian, when you become a believer in Christ, is your mind, your will, your emotions, that soulish part of you, is that instantly changed when you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yeah, yeah, no. (laughs) we got to work on that one, right? Because we have to do what's called renewing our mind. We have to walk out this journey that's called sanctification. It's part of our journey in our salvation. So here's the truth about salvation. When you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, guess what? You are instantly saved and all things are instantly made new because the part that was disconnected originally, the part that made our entire being deteriorate, that spirit disconnect is reconnected and restored. Because now we see in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 that if any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Those all things are talking about where I was disconnected, now I'm reconnected. So that spirit connection that I was once alienated from because of my sin, rejection, and rebellion, because of Jesus and because of my faith in that act of what he did, I'm now reconnected to God. So I can talk to him now. Used to? I couldn't have that relationship with God because I was spiritually dead. But now because of Christ, I am spiritually alive. It's Christ in me, the hope of glory. 
So now because Christ is in me and because he has renewed my connection to God, then what happens is that relationship begins to influence that soulish part of me, that identity part of me, that now that spirit of God living on the inside of me is now affected by the very spirit of God. And my life should produce fruit of that spirit of God living on the inside of me. Galatians chapter 5 that talks about the fruit of of the Spirit of God living on the inside of me. It's not a checklist of things you should do good and try harder to do better. It's a result or fruit. Fruit is a result. It's the result of the Spirit of God living on the inside of me and me fellowshipping with Him and Him having influence in my life. That's why the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4 where He talks about the Word of God is quick and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides between the soul and the Spirit. In other words, what the Word of God does is it divides between the perfect Spirit of God that lives on the inside of you, and it divides between your way of thinking, your mind, your will, your emotions, your desires, because we need to submit to His will and His desires. Amen? And so I learned to do that. So I am saved because the Spirit of God lives on the inside of me, and then I'm also being saved, walking out my sanctification in this life. I am learning how to live Christ-like. I am learning how to allow the Spirit of God to influence me to the point of where my life begins to show His glory. My life begins to show His goodness because of the influence of that new creation that I have become in Christ. And because of that influence and because He has changed me, then I will eventually be completely saved from eternal damnation because I will be resurrected with Him in complete, perfect unity and everything that sin once destroyed, God completely restores. And that's why God resurrects the bodies because it's not because it's something necessarily that we, that we need, but yet at the same time, it's God restoring all things because everything He made was good, right? Amen? If God made everything good, then that means everything that was corrupted by you and me, he's going to make good again. He's going to fix it. He's going to restore it. And he's going to make it better than it was before. And that's why he makes us new in spirit and reconnects us with his spirit. He is making us new by us growing in sanctification. And then the Bible says we will be made like him when we see him face to face. So when we encounter Jesus face to face, that's when all of our struggles in that soulish area of our life will be completely made perfect when we see him face to face. That's what the Bible means when it says we will be made like him when we see him face to face. And then eventually the resurrection of our bodies because God doesn't make junk. God is not going to allow the things you and I have spoiled to become something that just gets cast off. No, he, if he made it, he wants it. It's his. And he wants to make it right again. And that's why Jesus came. Not just to forgive you of your sins, but to restore all things. Isn't that powerful? He's restoring all things. He's restoring every single thing. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The Apostle Paul actually talks about this exact thing that I just shared with you. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to look at verse 35. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 35. Same crew that Paul's writing to just an earlier letter, same issues as I described earlier. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 35. Someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body do they come with? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, 
but rather it's a bare kernel. It's perhaps like a wheat or some other grain. So here's Paul trying to connect with them on a very practical level. He's like, okay, you're not understanding this whole resurrection from the dead because the pagans had their own belief of the resurrection of the dead. And so he said, you need to understand this. Let me put it to you in farming terms, okay? Verse 38. Each of you, God gives you a body. He has chosen to each one of you. It's kind of like a seed in its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies, there's earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is another kind. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars for stars uh, for stars differ from star and glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, then there's also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but it's the natural. Then comes the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have been born in the image of the man of the dust, also we bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body we must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory, our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Here the Apostle Paul says, listen, this thing is perishable. It's corruptible because of sin. And this thing's got to die. Just like we see with a seed. When you plant that seed in the ground, that outer place, what happens to it? It falls off. It breaks off. It dies. But then what comes as a result? New life. He said, don't you know that God created all of these things this way for a reason? Don't you know this is the way God's system works? It wasn't just happenstance that God designed seeds to die and then spring forth life. He's showing us His glory. He's showing us the way He works. He's showing us His value system. He's showing us how things are meant to be. He's showing us His law and the way He's created things. He wants to redeem. He wants to restore. And anything God has made and is called good will be made new and will be restored again. Now, God is going to eventually redeem everything and restore everything to the way in creation when he originally called it good. Everything that he called good is going to be put back to the way that it was, and it's going to be this great restoration. He separates those who refuse his goodness. He separates those who refuse his forgiveness. He separates us like sheep from the goats. And those who have received 
the message of the gospel. And who have received His grace will spend eternity with Him in heaven. And those who have not received that, who have rejected His love and His grace and His forgiveness, will not be with Him forever. They'll be eternally damned. But did you know that in heaven, that we'll live forever? In heaven, you'll live forever. So if you look around this room, I hope you like the people here. Because if they know Jesus, they're going to be with you forever. That's why here at Word of Grace we say we are forever family. We'll be together forever. And I always wondered about heaven. I wondered, will we know people in heaven? Will we be able to recognize people? I always wondered stuff like this. And so I did a lot of research, did a lot of study. And from what I can tell from my study is that every single time that a person is associated with heaven, that their identity is also associated with them, which leads me to believe we will know each other in heaven. Because you remember when Jesus talked to Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration, the disciples knew that it was Moses and Elijah. It was the disciples who said, that guy looks like Moses and that guy looks like Elijah. Because that's who that is Jesus is talking to. That's really weird. I thought those guys were dead. But yet they were talking with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Which also is another thing that leads me to believe that when we die, we immediately will go into the presence of God. Because otherwise, if we went into a soul sleep, why were Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration? Did they wake up real quick just to go have a chat with Jesus? I don't think so. And there's no biblical evidence of purgatory. That's something that was created Uh, by the Pope of the Catholic Church during the 1200s. It's not even in the Scripture. It's just some idea that they came up with. So, So when we look at what happens when we die, I believe we go straight to heaven. And I believe you're known as you're known also because in the Scripture, I see that David, you guys remember King David? Well, when he had an affair with Bathsheba and they conceived a child, that child ended up dying. But then he writes a psalm about it. And you can read that psalm of David where he writes about lamenting over his sin and the fact that his child died. And he says, I'm going to get to meet my child in heaven. And he specifically talks about getting to know his child that he lost once he crosses over to heaven. And so if that is in the scripture, then I believe that we will know people in heaven just like I know you here. And that we'll have relationship. You know that heaven is going to be free of sorrow and suffering? The Bible continually speaks of how there will be no tears, there will be no sorrow. Doesn't it stink when something bad happens in our lives? Like, you know, you think it's spring and you're all excited (laughs) and you start looking at mulch and and flowers and you start looking at different things you want to plant and then out of nowhere, the blizzard of 2016 hits and there's like 50 feet of snow on the ground, and it's absolutely ridiculous, and we're building igloos, and it's so crazy. <sighs> there's sorrow here. <laughs> there will be no sorrow in heaven. There will be no sorrow in heaven. The Bible says it's free of sorrow. It's free of pain. Doesn't it stink when you're sick? Isn't that awful? Don't you just hate being sick when the weather can't make up its mind and your equilibrium and your sinuses can't get caught up with what season it is because Wisconsin decided it'd be all four seasons in the past three hours? (laughs) And your sinuses get all messed up. You know, that's not going to happen in heaven. You know, it's not going to happen in heaven because there's no sickness 
in heaven. Isn't it painful when we struggle with those things or we see our family struggle with life-threatening illnesses? There's none of that in heaven. You know that in heaven that there's food. You know that in Revelation 21 that the Bible talks about how we're going to eat at the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're going to eat in heaven, but guess what? Not for life, not for sustaining our life. Here we need to eat to live. In heaven you don't eat to live. In heaven you eat for fun because eating is awesome. And in heaven you get to eat for fun, and guess what? You don't get fat. You eat, and you don't go, huh, this is really good heavenly cereal. uh, cereal. Let me look and see what the calories are. Who cares? Trans fat means nothing. It's delicious. The Bible says that we're going to eat, but it's not going to be for life because we're going to be connected forever to the source of life, the Spirit of God. We're going to get life from Him forever. So that means that any eating that we do in heaven is going to be strictly for pleasure because did you know that God created the way that things taste? Have you ever thought about that? He didn't have to. He could have just said, "Here's." I think about my cats at home. They eat the same thing every day. That's got to be like the most boring thing and they get super jazzed about it. When they hear that food poured in the bowl, it's like, cling, 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 cling. Same thing, yes! And they just like dive into it. Yes, I was hoping that's what it would be. It's still Meow Mix. Two years later, yes! I think about, we could have been like that. We, we, we could have eaten the same thing every day and, and not care about the flavor. The flavor has nothing to do with it. God could have made it that way, but God chose in His sovereignty. God chose to make stuff taste the way it tastes so you and I could go, mmm, that's good. That's a good steak or that's a good salad. I don't know who says that, but it's good. <laughs> that's a really good dessert. I really enjoy this. This is great. This tastes awesome. And we love to talk about the flavors of food, but the flavors of the food and the combination of the flavors of food were not created so the food would get glory, but the one who created the flavors would. So today when you eat lunch and you're hungry right now, like you are, and you sit down at that restaurant or you sit down and you slap together that PB&J that's going to be awesome here in about 30 minutes, when you sit down and eat your lunch, I want you to think about the way that your food tastes. And I want you to think the fact that God made your taste buds and your brain to interpret those things that way. That's how awesome he is. That's how he cares about so many of the little things that we take for granted every day. Because that taste is supposed to roll up into praise. Because we say a little prayer before we eat. Hopefully we do. But are we saying it out of tradition? Are we saying it because we're scared we'll get sick if we don't say the prayer? Or are we saying it because we're really grateful? Because it's not as much blessing the food, it's saying thanks. It's God, thank you. Thank you for making these wonderful array of flavors. Thank you that we're about to enjoy this. And as I eat it, I think, wow, God must love me a whole heck of a lot. God must love me a lot. This is amazing. And so we're going to enjoy that side of food in heaven because there is food in heaven. Did you know that also in heaven that our gifts just don't get put to the side and now they're useless? You know that we're going to have responsibilities and jobs in heaven based on our gifts? You know that we're not going to be floating around on the cloud playing the harps, but we're going to actually be actively doing things in heaven? Did you know that life in heaven is probably most likely going to be very similar to the life that you and I know 
on earth without all the bad stuff. We're going to still have responsibilities. We're still going to have jobs. We're still going to have meals. We're still going to have gatherings together. We're still going to know one another. So if you had this idea that heaven was a boring place, man, you're not reading the same Bible that I'm reading because it's going to be a wonderful place. Because it's just going to be perfect, though, instead of messed up like the world we live in. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be without the negativity and the gossip and the, and the backbiting and the, and the hurtful things that happen and all of the, the worry and the fear. It's going to be life apart from all of those things. And everything is going to bring glory to God. And there's not going to be a sun or a moon because God is the very source of light. That's what Revelation 21 says. It says there's no sun or moon in heaven. It says, because God is so big and so full of light that he illuminates everything. There'll be no more night anymore. So you won't wake up tired. You won't sleep. You're just going to be doing cool stuff. Worshiping God. Giving him praise with everything you do. And our life is very much going to be the way God intended for it to be when he created us and he said, this is good. That's what heaven's going to be. You know... Life in heaven is going to be very much like the things that God called good in the book of Genesis. And you can read about heaven and some more particulars in Revelation 21. I think that's a great place to read. It's closer to the back of your Bible, which gets closer to us actually experiencing the full restoration of all things that Jesus paid for. That's why when we say Jesus paid it all, Jesus didn't just die to forgive you for the bad things that you've done in life. He died to restore everything. That's the power of the cross. That's a lot bigger than anything you and I have ever done. That's the sins of the world. That's changing everything and making everything new. That's heaven. That's what Jesus did for you. That's what Jesus did for me. That was the weight of the cross. That's the weight of the gospel. And let me tell you this about Revelation. This will help you. A lot of people are scared to read the book of Revelation. There's a lot of end time movies out right now. Everybody's freaking out. That's kind of bestseller is apocalyptic stuff where everything goes wrong. There's a disease and now everybody's a zombie and we got to figure out what are we going to do? I don't know, Carl, what are we going to do? And we don't know what's going to happen because it's apocalypse. But let me tell you something. Don't be freaked out by the book of Revelation because just as all prophecy in Scripture. Prophecy is not given for you to figure out what's coming. Prophecy is given so when it comes, you'll know that God said it, and it'll be able to give you peace because He's overcome the world. You remember on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit fell and everyone in the place began to speak with other tongues? Do you remember that story in Acts chapter 2? What did Peter get up and say when that happened? He said, this is that that was spoken by the prophet Joel. He said, this is that that was spoken by the prophet years and years ago. In other words, nobody knew that on a certain day that the house was going to be shaken, that everyone was going to speak in tongues. Nobody saw that coming. Nobody prepared for that and wrote books on that. It just happened and they said, oh, there it is. And that's exactly what prophecy is supposed to do. Look in Scripture. Every time you will see someone say, as it is written, Jesus, every time he fulfilled a prophecy, the Bible will say, he did this, so the Scripture will be fulfilled that was said this. 
Just the fact that even he rode on a, a donkey that, that, was, that was borrowed. They said, he did this so this scripture would be fulfilled. It wasn't given so we would sit around and try to debate about all these goofy different doctrines that we've created. And is, Does this mean Russia? Does this mean uh, Afghanistan? What does this country mean? What is this? What is this in the book of Revelation? Everybody gets all worked up and freaked out. Jesus said, I didn't tell you this stuff so you would be in fear. He said, I told you this so actually you would have peace. We make it about fear because we miss it. So when you think about the end times, when you think about heaven, when you think about eternity, don't get scared. When you look at the book of Revelation, it's not so you can figure it out. It's so you can go, oh, that's what he was talking about right there. Okay, we're still on track. God's still faithful. God's still doing what he said he would do. And that's all that it's for. Every time prophecy is fulfilled, that's what's said in Scripture. Because what happened in Acts chapter 2 was Peter said, this is that that was spoken by the prophet Joel in Joel chapter 2, where the Bible says that in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. He said in their sons and daughters, he said, they're going to prophesy. He said the young men said they're going to begin to have visions and the old men are going to begin to dream dreams. He said, this is going to happen. And then on the day of Pentecost, he said, this is the start of it. So you see the urgency of the disciples as soon as they saw the Spirit of God poured out like Joel prophesied hundreds of years prior, they believed that was the beginning of the last days. And it truly was the beginning of the last days. We live in the last days, not because there's all of the wars and all of the things that try to scare us on the news. We think of it as a long time, but guess what? God doesn't view it as a long time. We're living in the last days, so how much more should the urgency of the message of the gospel be preached by people who are secure that they have heaven as their home. You don't have heaven as your home because you've been good. You have heaven as your home because Jesus is good and you put your trust in the one that's good. Amen? Amen. And then the Spirit of God comes and breathes His life into you and you're renewed and reconnected in spirit and He begins to influence that soul, that mind, will, and emotions. And then guess what? One day, even though this mortal body will decay, it'll go into the ground and up from the ground, we will have a new body and everything will be made new. That's complete and total salvation. And that's the good news of the gospel. That's the power of the cross. You and I have that message. You and I have that responsibility to share while we're here. Because if we're still breathing air, He still has a plan for us here on the earth. Amen? He still has a plan for your life. So your life needs to be showing the goodness of God. Your life needs to be sharing the goodness of God. Out of our mouths, we need to be speaking the truth and telling other people about Jesus and telling just how powerful the message of the gospel is. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.